partnership with the city of Grand Rapids via Start Garden and Seamless, and we started taking the pieces we had. And, and again, if you look at all of the different pieces, you know, Seamless, Start Garden, the city, the partners, the different stuff, for somebody to knock off what we have, there's a lot of components. That's difficult. It's very difficult. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? I'm your host, Luciano, and welcome to the Luciano Cast. On this episode, I interviewed my friend Mike Morin. He's one of the CEOs of Start Garden, president of Start Garden Foundation, director of Seamless IoT Commercialization, also the director of Portfolio Relations at Wakestream Ventures. What are all these entities you might be asking yourself? Well, they're all part of an entrepreneurial ecosystem. What is that, you might ask? Tune in to find out. Mike's also a board member of several companies here in Grand Rapids. He's been starting companies since 1995, and I had an absolute blast recording this podcast. He's a fun guy with all kinds of awesome lessons to teach me and hopefully you as well. I hope you enjoy this episode with Mike Morin. I appreciate it. Let's do it. Yeah, so we're recording, but um, yeah, part of why I wanted to start the podcast in the first place is like, um, you know, I've been coming to like Start Garden events for a long time. I know a lot of young people and through like me meeting people and my dad knowing people like I know a lot of people who are older, you know, and they're establishing their careers or do they're already CEOs, you know what I mean? Like I can yep. I can start an LLC and now I'm the CEO of, you know, Luciano Enterprises, but what does that mean, right? Um, so that's kind of why I felt it was important for me to create this cuz I want to get perspectives from all kinds of people, yeah, and uh, yourself included. Yeah, great. Yeah, that's good. No, I, you know, my first, boy, I'm trying to think what my first, my first startup would have been, how old would I have been? I think I would have been like 25. For your probably. first startup? Yeah. When I had my, when I, when I got my first one going, okay. I, I had, uh, I came out of college and was, uh, this, you're, this is a pretty funny leap. So a lot of my background was technical, but I came out of college and, and sold corrugated boxes for four years. <laughs> yeah. It was great. I loved it. Okay. I spent a bunch of time traipsing around on, on you know, factory floors. Yeah. Doing all kinds of fun stuff. I Learning really how to sell. I enjoyed it, huh? Learning how to sell. Yeah. I mean, if you can sell, if you can sell corrugated boxes, you can sell anything. It was like selling corn. <laughs> um, you know, so it was fun. I, it was really challenging and I enjoyed it. But then I wanted to go back and do my master's and wanted to get back closer to technology because, you know, I was like... Like I don't know, two and a half years of my undergrad was electrical engineering. Okay. And then realized I wasn't going to be a great electrical engineer. You realized and, it? Yeah. Uh, back then, the electrical engineer meant designing circuit boards, and you know, me being stuck in a cube designing exciting. circuit boards was not going to be a good thing. No, that's not exciting. You're an exciting guy. Exactly. But I still love technology and always have. And so uh, I had a buddy that uh, that that was starting up a company that was, um, you know, believe it or not, in you know, in the in the you know the kind of the uh, early 90s was doing early artificial intelligence work. Really? That was really rules-based kind of stuff in supply chain logistics. So mm. route optimization, load optimization, master production scheduling. Mm. And we would, you, you know, we would consult with pretty large corporations and we would rely on Michigan State University as one of the best supply chain logistics programs in the country. Really? We would use those professors as domain experts and then would use these quote unquote artificial intelligence systems <laughs> to codify their knowledge. Yeah. And and that's what we did. And we were working with PhD students that were working with some really early, early, early AI tools. Um, so yeah, so it's interesting. So as I see all the AI stuff coming on now, um, realize, you know, that I was wor- that I was working a little bit in that space. You, yeah. you know, 
whatever, 20 years ago. So. You were starting companies like since 1995, according to LinkedIn. Right, yeah, <laughs> like I haven't had a real job. I haven't had a real job <laughs> since then. Um, Good. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I, I literally say that I'm unemployable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you know, I can, I can, I can fill 60% of every job and 100% of none. So, you know, if I try to go look at it in a corporate job, it's just, you know, it's, uh, it, it's not going to work well. Would it drive you nuts? What wouldn't work? Oh, I don't know. I, I just, um, you know, the line I've always used is, you know, the only thing I've ever mastered in my life is being a generalist. Okay. So, yeah. you know, that just tends to, I tend to like to have a lot of different things going. I'm not yeah. a specialist. Gotcha. Um, you know, there are things that I'm better at than others, you know, business development, selling, yeah. strategy. Yeah. Those types of things. A couple but, of your companies are of the couple of the companies that you had started, even in like the '90s, are still mm -hmm. running. Mm -hmm. You don't so, see that often. No, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you know, so the the one that I mentioned to you is not running anymore. Okay. Um, you, you know, a lot of the large consulting firms started to get into that space, and um, it wasn't really a business where you could create equity value. It was, but it was good cash flow, mm. and so we kind of wound that one one down. But then, you know, eventually, I ended up at. Uh, at Code Blue Corporation yep. out in out in Holland, yeah. which you know I, I I didn't start that company, okay. But but I feel like I started it because when you're working in a mobile home, in a cornfield, <laughs> on the side of a steel fabricating plant, at that point I think you get to call yourself you know early, <laughs> yeah, um, pretty and, early. And dude. that's where I was when I when I when I started with Code Blue. What did you help grow it to? So we you know we built that we built that team and grew it to a few million dollars a year and profitable. Okay. Uh, over you know over a relatively short stretch and um, but you know I learned some things there. I didn't own that company. Yeah. Right. And I had no ownership in that company. Mm. Um, and you know you start to realize you're creating value. Yeah. That that that. A paycheck's never going to really compensate you for, and then you know it wasn't it wasn't bad, but you know the owners of the company and I, I you know I only I kind of only know how to do one thing, and that's kind of grow things, hmm. and and morph things. I I'm, I'm not a I'm not an optimizer, right? So I'm not going to like I'm not going to come in and 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 optimize the profitability or refine something over and over again, right? Hmm. I'm going to keep creating new. You're going to create something new for it. Yeah, and, and, the, and the owners of the company just had a different direction for the business, you yeah. know, where they wanted they wanted to, you know, kind of stabilize it and it was generating good cash flow and that was good for them and that's where they like wanted stable. to be. Yeah, and that, I'm just not, I'm, well, it's not whether I like it or not, I'm just not a good person for it. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to break things and, it, you know, whether they need to be broken or not because that's, <laughs> That's who you are. Right. That's who I am and that's what, what I do. do. So I've learned over the years that every every organization that I start, I've got to have a plan to hand it off mm. at some point to somebody and move on to things. Otherwise, you'll, um, you, you know, I mean, I wouldn't have thought this at the time, but in retrospect, you realize that, you, that you'll destroy perfectly good businesses yeah. just because you're bored. <laughs> right? Yeah. So um, what's the difference between something that generates revenue mm -hmm. and something that's equitable? Yeah, so you know, so when you think about machines that can generate revenue on their own, so think about software development firms, consulting firms, which I've owned parts of or a few of, right? Yeah, you can get paid a great hourly rate. Yeah, and you can make good cash flow, but it's like running a restaurant, right? I mean, you, you, yeah. you know, the customer is only as good as the last meal, <laughs> right? And so you're always out looking for new work. So mm. if, if 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 I were to come to you and try to value that business and say, you know. 
how much income am I guaranteed? You know, like what? How much income am I guaranteed in the future? Well, zero. Nothing's guaranteed, right? And the only value in the company is the people that are there. And if the people leave, there's nothing. Yeah. Right. And someone can always create a better work environment for the for the right. restaurant. But if you compare that to like a SaaS software tool, software as right? a service tool, or, yeah, or something like that, where where people are subscribing and mm-hmm. they're subscribing to the tool, and that money's going to keep coming in. If the team left, nobody would even know it. Yeah. Right. So, so really, every company, when you're if you're raising money or you're selling it, the value of a company is somehow related to its future revenue generating potential. Okay. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. How much can it generate, and how risky is that? Right. And so you 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 know so you, you talk about discounted cash flows. You look at those future cash flows, you discount them back for risk, and that's kind of what the company's worth. And I don't really care if it's a venture-backed company or, or if it's a small company. Every, every valuation formula is, is some derivative of that logic, right? Yeah. You're kind of buying an annuity, right? I'm going to give you $20 million today, and in exchange, I get either, you know, you might not be getting the cash, but it's creating additional enterprise value. Hmm. Um, and, and then the more risk there is, the more it gets discounted. And that's really what we're all talking about when we're negotiating and saying, oh, my company should be worth $2 million or $5 million or whatever it is, right? Yeah. What is its potential to generate future mm. revenue streams and what is the risk of, of those revenue streams happening or not happening? I got you. So if I wanted to start a company or somebody wanted to start a company, mm-hmm. like, how do you kind of start to set up those parameters so that way you're like, you kind of, what questions might you want to ask yourself if it's like, Okay, I want to create this company, but is it going to be more like a restaurant, or is this going to be more like something that's going to create equity later on? Yeah, well, I mean, so I, I for the last probably five or six years, I've had this working definition of an entrepreneur that I continue to stick by. A working definition. Yeah. So because it's, it's going to change, you know. Yeah. But but the current I one I, I that I that I'm still operating under is, you know, I see entrepreneurs as people that figure out how they want to live, huh. and then find a way to go get paid for that. <laughs> right. I mean, at the end of the day, you, you know, yeah. you're a person. You've only got one life, and your work is part of it. But yeah. you know, there are people that really get a kick out of building things that are really big and really valuable. There's people that like serving people that really enjoy serving yeah. people. There's people that just want to make enough money so they can spend more time with their family. Yeah. Right. All those people are entrepreneurs. So it's an what, extension of yourself. It is. And, and what entrepreneurs, where they use their creative energy, mm. is to figure out how they can use their skills in the business world to live the way they want to live. That's right? great, yeah. So, so I don't know that there's an, like everybody says, well, you know, are you an entrepreneur if it's a restaurant versus, <laughs> or are entrepreneurs only people that are venture backed? Yeah. I, you know, I, I fundamentally don't think that really matters. Okay. But, but, I, but I think, um, you know, all, all good companies start with a good, have to have some good solid insight. Like, you know, what we'll always ask is like, what's your unfair advantage? Okay. Right, you yeah. see something that other people don't see. And and, and then the question is, you know, why, um, you, you know, like in uh, Andreessen Horowitz, right? Okay. One of the biggest venture capital funds in the world. They, they, would, they would refer to these as earned secrets. Earned secrets. Right. So something that you've learned or you've seen because of your journey yeah. that gives you a perspective on a particular product, offering, mm. market, whatever. So it's also, it's like, what is this unique knowledge you have and why is it that you have it? Right. Like, you know, what's the, what's the unique story? And, and, and then and then how do you create value around that? How do you defend that? How do you, you know, and, and, mm. and we've all got to be really, really careful that we don't get 
too biased, right? Like, mm. like the number one thing I think we would see that is flawed is, is entrepreneurs never do enough research. That's quite common. Right, right. And, and it's not just entrepreneurs, right? I mean, yeah. the reality is, if we're all honest with ourselves, in life we see more what we're looking for than what is. Say that right? again? You see what you're looking for. You're biased. Oh, yeah, confirmation bias. Yeah, totally. I mean, and entrepreneurs aren't immune. Of course not. Right? And so you've got this great idea. You love your idea. It's your child. And it makes it really, really hard to see things or embrace things that are counter to it. Because you're always looking for reasons why it'll work. Exactly. Because, <laughs> well, first of all, it's hard as hell, right? Yeah. And so you need energy to mm. keep you going. And it's hard enough, much less when you have to embrace things that are maybe counter to it. Yeah. And so I think that's one of the tricks that entrepreneurs mm. are are good at, right? They can They can continue... To move forward positively, doing what they're doing, mm -hmm. while being able to embrace all the facts, good and bad, mm. and letting those shape the solution. I think what you, what you learn is that those pieces of input aren't necessarily good or bad. They're just information. They're like boundary lines. Totally. Like sometimes somebody saying, that won't work, or I won't pay for that, is the next step towards figuring out what, what would work. What they would pay for. Right. Exactly. But that's just hard. And, and, yeah. and emotionally, a lot of people aren't wired to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, I think those are some of the things. It's, you know, I don't think there is any one, like most entrepreneurs, I don't think there's just like one idea that's like this epiphany that you're called to, right? It's kind <laughs> of a way of thinking. Yeah. And you can apply it to a lot of different, a lot of different things. It's a way so, of thinking, huh? Yeah, so I think that's really, you know, asking yourself those questions about what's really unique about it. Yeah. Has anybody else done this before? Who else is doing this? Yeah. Right? And, and really putting yourself through that assessment. Because I, I would say most ideas, that if you're the, at least for me, yeah. the ideas I've had that I'm the only one that's come up with, they're stupid. It's false. Right. It's just a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. There's a reason that I'm the only one that's come up with it and nobody else has. Yeah. Right? Like most yeah. of the good ideas of good markets, there's multiple people pursuing the problem because the problem's really big. You just you just have to, you know, un try to try to unravel why your take on it, your angle on it, your approach to it, your business model, um, why is why is that unique? You know, yeah. why is that the one that wins, right? So we're always yeah. asking these why questions. When you're like, looking at starting something like, why now? Mm. Why here? Why this? Why me? Yeah. Right. Those those are the questions you got to be because that's really it's fundamentally that those are the questions that investors asking you. Right. Right. Like so, this may be a, you, you know, like you may have this great idea. Yeah. Why Why are you? Why are you the one to solve it? And, and this most is why people are I, like I don't know. Pay me. Like, right. I have the idea because I thought of it. Give who, me a million dollars. Who cares? Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I mean that, that's that's where I get back to that unfair advantage. Okay. I, I would say, for the most part, all things equal, you lose. Hmm. Unless you have some advantage, the person with the advantage is who wins. Yeah. So what's your advantage? The person who can actually like make it happen. Yeah, or, or that literally does have a better idea and can prove why it's a better idea. Oh. Or has, you know, I mean, timing. Like, we, we, we ignore timing. Timing is part of what makes a good idea. Yeah, I mean, why, you know, why is Chewy killing it? in the pet space and pets.com went bankrupt right back yeah. in the original dot bomb era like yeah. people just weren't ready to buy stuff for their pets online hmm. now they are right so yeah. so um you know as the phrase goes i'd rather be lucky than good 
Yeah. Like there are there are components of this you just can't control and you need to be sensitive to that. Yeah. But the ones you the ones you can control, um, you know, you just you, you have to have this level of of you know, hopeless optimism, you know, combined with brutal reality. And that's just hard. That's hard. That sounds like a hard thing, right? It is, it is hard. Hopeless optimism combined with the brutal reality that it's probably not going to work. Right. I, I mean, so here's the example I give. So, so if you look at venture capital in general. Yeah. I've met a lot of venture capitalists over the last six years. I didn't know a ton before. They're really smart people. Sure. You don't yeah. get into venture capital by being dumb. It's not an accident. No, it's not an accident. They've all done a lot of stuff, and they're really smart, and a lot of them have made a lot of money, right? Mm -hmm. And... Every single investment that every venture fund has ever made, when they wrote the check, they were convinced that this was the one that was going to make them their millions, right? <laughs> I would hope so. Right. Well, that's why you did it, right? Because you yeah. were convinced this was one, the one or one of the ones. Yeah. Yet we know that a large majority of them we lose all our money on. Yeah. It's like one out of ten. You hope that the one makes you a hundred. Right. But but like you thought every one of them was mm. the one. Yeah. When you wrote it. Yet most of them weren't. Yeah. So there's obviously a lot of variables that we don't understand, that we can't control, mm. that we don't get, um, that that play a role. Like you know, even even the companies that have been in our portfolio at Wakestream and the ones that have done well or not or not done well, like it's never what you would suspect, and oftentimes it has nothing to do with the product itself or the mm. market. There's these crazy things called founders. <laughs> that do those are some crazy things that do crazy things sometimes right and there's other crazy people called investors mm. that do crazy things sometimes because they might be freaking out like this is my money what are you doing with it yeah and and right people, just, people just make you know we make decisions we do things that there's people involved right and yeah, so, people are so, be people. so it's complex and you know the people the people are the most complex variable in all of this <laughs> right really uh, absolutely I mean, especially early stage stuff that we're doing. Yeah. You, you know, whether we get our money back, I mean, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, I think there, there's two things that are really kind of critical in the early stage stuff. And it's, it's, do you have a really good founder? You know, oh. are, are, and yeah. are they working in a really big space and a really big problem? So my question is, huh. if there's a big problem and I've got the smartest guy trying to solve it, I'm just believing that they're eventually going to find the solution. They don't have it now. Whatever it is yeah. they have now is wrong. So what do you look for? Because you got the you have the founder, right? Mm -hmm. And you mentioned like um, like entrepreneurship's like a way of thinking, yes. right? Yes. So what do you look for to see if they have that way of thinking or don't they? See, I, I think everybody. I mean, obviously a track record's a great one, right? But when you're in Grand Rapids, Michigan, yeah, and we don't, we're not Silicon Valley, Correct. right? I, I I don't have the luxury of just saying. Well, you know, we're only going to back people that have had two successes. <laughs> and even if they have, they still might fail in the next one because of all these other variables, right? Yeah. But so, so this, this may crack you up. So, so I, one of my favorite questions to ask venture capital people and is, is if you only were allowed to ask an entrepreneur one question, early stage especially, mm -hmm. one question, and then you had to decide whether you were going to invest or not. Really? What question would you ask them? Yeah. Right? And... The, the one that I've landed on that I have found to be consistent is, is tell me about your first job or your first company. Really? Because every single entrepreneur that I've run into that, that has fought their way through this, win or lose, right? Mm -hmm. When they were seven years old, they were peddling something <laughs> or dragging a wagon around or stealing something from neighbors and selling it. They, they've all, they've all had this curiosity and they've all been doing this since they were very, very young.
I find that to be much more successful for the most part, you know, even if somebody is, has gone a traditional route and gone to a great university and a great program and has an MBA, if they're kind of missing that hustle mm. early, you know, like that early in the their blood component. Innate. Yeah, totally. That, that kind of innate thing. They have to do it. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you know, it's like athletes, you know, some are born, some are made. You can be, you can be decent if you're born with a lot of talent but don't work very hard and you can be decent if you didn't have a lot of talent but you do work very hard yep. but they're really great ones right we're born with a ton of talent and also they really work hard. hard right exactly i love that and, and and i think that's you know so that's kind of my question to see if you know you know has this been brewing in you pretty yeah. much since the first day you know you yeah. could conceive of it or you know, does this like seem does this seem want? better than taking a job with McKinsey? You know, yeah. You're smart enough. You could probably make one hundred ten thousand. Would you rather make one hundred ten thousand, or do you want to risk not making anything or a lot more? And, and why? Yeah. And why are you doing this? And when it gets really, really hard, are you still going to persist through it? Yeah. Right. Because it is because it is going to get hard. It's like how bad do you want it? Right. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then you're also looking at like what kind of value they're going to create. Mm -hmm. Right. So value can be created all kinds of ways. Right. I mean, sure. Um, if you create cotton candy, that's right. a value, right? right? If you um, sell McDonald's, that's a value. If you help create an ecosystem, which I want to touch on, that's yep. value. Yep. And so, like, how do you evaluate value? Um, well, you know, again, I think it's what we're perpetually doing, right? We're evaluating value, and then we're and then we're trying to figure out how much risk there is in that creation. Okay. Right. So, so why why are things that are disruptive or new more valuable mm. than things that are old? Right, so so again, I'll come back to you know A16Z is one of my favorite podcasts. That's Andreessen Horowitz's podcast. Oh, sweet! And you know something they'll say about you know if you look at their book Zero to One and creating new markets, is the first person in the market is the only one that ever gets to create the structure, the pricing, the value proposition. Right, yeah. everybody else that enters that market is is a follow on and is some derivative of that original person. They're secondary. Totally. So so when you're the one that creates a market. Yeah, you get to establish the rules in that market, including mm -hmm. the margin, including the price, including the value, if you can protect it, right? And yeah. so, so that's where you know value. You know, value a lot comes down to um, just your ability to, you know, to defend what you've created. How right? How unique is it? How do you defend value? Well, you know, so 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 when I was in when I was in grad school, one of my favorite authors. Um, and professors, and he's still around, is Michael Porter oh, yeah. from Harvard, right? I think I've heard of him. Yeah, and, he, and he's great. And, and I remember reading, you know, reading some of his writings on, and this is really where some of my favorite stuff is, is building defensible strategies. Ah, okay. So, so, you know, if you think about your business or a product and it's got, you know, eight kind of key components to it in terms of, you, you know, how you do your pricing, you know how the product works, your relationship with your distributors. Like, so here's an example. Okay. Code Blue. Yeah, one of your startups. Right. It was what was so fascinating about it is steel's expensive. Those pipes are steel. Yeah. But what Code Blue was using was reject oil field pipe. So we were using scrap. Okay. Anybody else that was competing with us was having to buy steel <laughs> at market value. There's a competitive advantage. Nobody right there. knew we were buying scrap. Right, so so you, you so things like that are really 
unique, right? And, yes. and hard to replicate. But what Michael Porter would say is, so if you take, say you've got, say you can develop six things that are highly unique about your business and the business model, the price, all of it, right? Okay. Even if a competitor knocks off 70% of each of them, it's, you know, 70% times 70% times 70. They've really only knocked off like 20% of your business. Interesting. Right? So, so you're looking at it dimensionally. So, so you, you were talking about ecosystem stuff. And, yeah. and, and when I was starting to wrap my brain and starting to, to learn and work, you know, because you kind of learn through doing, right? And, yeah. and, and so we were poking around doing some stuff in West Michigan. <laughs> and you've done a lot. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but what I started, if you go back seven, eight years, every tier two, tier three city in America was spinning up an ecosystem. Okay. And there was all the, you know, where's the next Silicon Valley going to be? Who's going to, right? And yeah. Nowhere is the, you know, not in America is the answer to that question. But yeah. um, Not on planet Earth. Right. Well, yeah, it'll happen, <laughs> just not here. India. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, India, China, India you China, know, yeah. Korea, someplace, right? Mm -hmm. but, um, but, but really started to realize, like, all markets that eventually everybody, every market was going to have to head towards a sustainable, defensible strategy. Right. And that gets back to kind of like what what unique value proposition can you stand up with a straight face and say, oh, we're the best at this in the world without, you know, people laughing at you. Without right? flinching. I mean, they so, might laugh, but you, you can't flinch. Right. So but if you start to look at West Michigan <laughs> yeah. and say, OK, what are the native assets that are here that are unique? Furniture. So beer. Right. Well, so so <laughs> so but but like, you, you know, so. There's companies that are here, right? We have this disproportionate number. We've got unbelievable private business ownership, disproportionate number of large enterprises yeah. that represent diverse markets. We're not all one market. You know, we do auto, we do furniture, we do medical, we do a lot of different things here, yep. right? Um, you know, that that is really an asset. Yeah. And then, so, so we built this kind of framework that we fleshed out a little bit more recently and, and we said, well, the old ecosystems that were built for, for venture capital and, and startups made a series of assumptions and were built around the fact that something was either digital or it was physical. Okay. It was a product or it was a service. Yes. Right? It was public or it was private. Mm. And it was enterprise or it was startup. Nothing was a hybrid. Right. So you start saying, yeah, but look at the things we're using today. Is, a, is, a, is an iPhone a product or a service? Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right? You look at autonomous vehicles running on the streets of Grand Rapids. Is that public or private? Yes. Yes. So we started saying, well, what does an ecosystem look like that supports things that are product and service? Mm. Right? Yeah. Public and private, enterprise and startup, digital and physical. Wow. And, and then you look at the capacity that we have here and the work we've been doing in what I would call, you know, whatever, built environment 2.0, 3.0, mm -hmm. you know, the smart, smart, whatever, smart car, smart office, smart home, yes. all of that smart digital phone, stuff somehow has to make its way into the physical world we live in. Yeah. You have to touch something to make it work. Right. And, and we've been doing that here for a long, long time. And we've got one of the best talent bases in the world to do that. Human-centered design is kind of all about that. We've got one of the highest density of, you know, of design talent in yeah, the country. We do. Yeah, and so so this is these are the unique assets that we started to see and said, let's start building an ecosystem around that. And that's Boom. where Seamless came from. That's where 
you know, some of the other, you know, putting the LoRa network in Grand Rapids, yeah. the public-private partnership with the city of Grand Rapids via Start Garden and Seamless, and we started taking the pieces we had. And, and again, if you look at all of the different pieces, you know, Seamless, Start Garden, the city, the partners, the different stuff, for somebody to knock off what we have, there's a lot of components. That's difficult. It's very difficult. And that's what gives us that's what gives us what we believe is a defensible, sustainable position as an ecosystem Boom. to build and start new businesses. So I want to know what Seamless is, right, okay. for everybody yeah. listening, and also Start Garden. Mm -hmm. what, are, what are these components? But a step back, like, what is an ecosystem? Yeah. And why is that important? Why do we need an ecosystem? Yeah. Well, so, so to me, you know, ecosystem is one of those words that's been, I, I wish I'd come up with a different word. Right. You know, it's been so used that it it's, almost it's innovation. It it's almost design. doesn't mean anything, right? But but like when I think of it, when I think of an ecosystem, what I, what I think you're you're looking at is is there's a system of systems. Yes. Right. There's multiple. I, I mean, every one of us like so. Some of the experiments we run at Seamless, if you think of the systems that you interact with every day as a person, there's systems around food. There's systems around mobility. Yeah. There's systems around healthcare. There's systems around housing. Yeah. Right. And they're all kind of related. So, so let me give you an example. If, if you wanted to rent an apartment in downtown Grand Rapids, yep. you would have to rent an apartment, own a car, pay for a parking spot. Right? Yes. If you own an <laughs> yeah. apartment in Chicago, you don't need the car or the parking spot. Right. So when you look at it economically, those three systems are kind of hopelessly intertwined, right? I mean, they yeah. operate as separate systems, but to you as a consumer, it's all the same. I need all three. I I need all I need parking. I, I, need, I need a car. I need mobility. Mm. And I need housing. I don't necessarily need a car or right. a parking spot if I have a train or a, right? Right. And so mm. so this is where, you know, so when you talk about an ecosystem around startups, look at all of the different aspects of starting a business. Everything from there's a regulatory system, right? right. There's a funding system. Legal, there's a talent accounting. system. There's a legal system. So, so to me, when you say ecosystem, yeah. it's it's you, you know what is and when you look at Start Garden, you you know who's placemaking for all of that stuff to come together, right? Mm. And that's why when we when we talk about Start Garden, we tend to talk about platforms, not programs. Okay. Right in, into into us. Yeah, that makes a, sense. A program is focused at a very specific audience to do a very specific thing. Yeah, I think the way you know when you're running a platform is when things that normally don't end up in the same room end up in the same room. Yeah. Right. So yeah. so how do you create something like 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 the hundred or five by five? Yeah. We're on a very regular basis for different reasons. People from different angles of the quote unquote ecosystem. Yeah. End up in the same place. Yeah. And, and and that's where I think we're a little different is Start Garden. We don't think I think a lot of a lot of entities that work in the think of themselves as programs and delivering specific content to people. Yep. We think about building platforms yeah. that, that create that create connectivity. Yeah. That then add value. Yeah. And I can attest to that. I mean, um, I was at a five by five a couple of months ago. And, uh, you know, I'm in line to grab a beer, of course. And I say hi to this guy. How's it going? He's like, you know, hi, I'm so-and-so. And, -so. and uh, turns out we both work in the medical space. He's yep. further along in his career than I am. I mean, I was at my 100th 5x5, right? He's at his first 5x5. 
and um, we're having a good conversation and I was able to bring him on as a consultant for the things that we're doing that's great because this is a platform right right it's not a program I didn't right. I didn't come say hey guys could you know could you help me write a marketing plan or you know what I mean yeah it, it's yeah. more like I'm you know kind of using it as a platform exactly and, and I love I love hearing stories like that yeah so 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 one of the challenges is when you look at the when you look at the system that like services for entrepreneurs fall within yeah so many of them are built around activity numbers yeah and counting scalps yeah how right? many people did you bring in how, how many people came how many people well guess what unfortunately that story you just told never gets registered in that context yeah, yeah right? exactly because if, if you're obsessed with measuring activity you're going to create programs and you're going to put a counter on the door yes right and you're going to say we served x number of people yeah when, when you're creating a platform um in essence, you're trying to engineer serendipity. Yeah. Right? Which is difficult. It's right. Difficult. It, is, I mean, right. it sounds no. ridiculous, but, right? But, but all you can do is kind of create, it's a Petri dish. You can kind of create the right conditions, yeah. but at the end of the day, you really have no idea what's going to grow. Exactly. Um, and in the only way you can often, you know, capture that stuff is via narrative. It's yeah. a story, like you just told. Yeah. Right? But it gets very difficult to quantify yeah. the activities. However, we would argue that over time, it becomes very easy to quantify the outcomes, mm. right? So if you were to ask me, how do I know if the ecosystem's working? Right, yeah. How do you know over, it's working? Over time, that's easy. Are there more companies that are, you know, that are hiring more people and raising more capital and generating more revenue, right? Yeah. Like if you have a company, there's only two things that matter. You're either raising capital or generating revenue because otherwise your doors close. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. So are those things happening? Yeah. And if those things are happening, it's working. But just because you're running a program that, that had 70 people go through a lean canvas workshop right. doesn't mean that any of that happens. <laughs> and so that's the problem, right, is a lot of the things that we look at that we call um, activities, and not, not that activities aren't important. Right. You just have to take them in the right context and realize that you know that they're 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 not always good indicators of outcome and and, and you run the risk right. of motivating perverse activities yeah to make those numbers happen so for instance right yeah if i have a program in the ecosystem and i've got people that are coming to it and i'm counting them as people i'm serving why am i going to refer them over to your program that makes sense right so so there's this as opposed to as opposed to a platform, you, you know that inspires and facilitates connection and things. You're That's you're creating something that you're creating something that 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 you know that motivates people to hold tight. Not only that, I would say one of the one of the major, um, you, you know, jobs of, of of a healthy ecosystem is to help things die. Help things die. Yeah, absolutely. I, what? Hang well, on a second. No, well, right, right, right. Okay, so you, I know you. you. You've got tons of ideas. You've had tons. You've had tons of different ideas. Yeah. How many of them were good? Uh, probably less than one percent. <laughs> right. And, and so, so just because we're working on things, like remember back to earlier in our conversation, I'm saying sometimes you got to you know embrace what the market's telling you about something. Yeah. Well, if if you're a company and you're one of my startups, mm -hmm. and your idea is really bad but I get to count you as a company I'm serving, what incentive do I have 
to like actually help you create yeah. a new idea or let you know that yeah. this is not a good idea. Yeah. You yeah. shouldn't pursue that. Yeah, some of the best advice I've ever given entrepreneurs is go home and never tell anybody about that again. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly. embarrassing. Stop that. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I wish somebody I wish somebody would tell me that. I'm yeah. like, why I did. Well, it's like you got, yeah, something stuck in your tooth or something. You don't have right. But it's like it's like saying you got something stuck in your tooth. Like totally. you would want someone to tell you that. Right. Yeah, but we'll let people wander around with five pounds of spinach in their teeth for six months and you know, in, in our West Michigan kind of West Michigan, West nice. Michigan, nice. Hey, that's a good idea. Keep me up to speed on that, right? Yeah. Translation: I'm not giving you a dime, <laughs> right? And, and I don't think this stands a snowball's chance of working. Yeah. Um. So you you, you know so that's uh, you know when you ask what's an ecosystem supposed to do, I think you know sometimes you know people feel like it's supposed to be this group hug that tells everybody their idea is a good no. idea. That's not the point. And when when you're an entrepreneur, true entrepreneurs, yeah. Uh, you, you know, you don't want to waste your time working on something just because just every entrepreneur has bad ideas, right? And maybe bad is not the right word, but just because you have bad ideas doesn't mean you're a bad entrepreneur. Yeah. What's a bad entrepreneur is a person that spends one more day than they should on a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Right? I think a lot of the good entrepreneurs understand the value of time. You know, they're like, look, I'm only here for so long. Yes. I want to work on the good stuff. I yes. want to create something that's valuable for myself or valuable for other people. Totally agree. Uh, you know, I think one of the things that entrepreneurs and business people in general do well is fundamentally understand the difference between expense and investment. Mm. When are you spending money? Like, you know, it's like, so oh, for yeah, instance, yeah. you have a startup in the beginning and it's like, it would feel really good to have a cool new office. Right. Is that an expense or is that an investment? Exactly. Do you really need that? Do you, right, exactly. Is that going to push your board? Is that going to help your bottom line? But but then there's times that there's things that it, that it seems counterintuitive to go have a meeting with a person or, mm. you know, hey, I should really fly. I should really spend money to fly there to meet that person. Meet that per- is, is that an expense or is that an investment? Right. And, and, and good entrepreneurs tend to have a really good nose. Yeah. Because it, it, it's not always as obvious as we make it sound, right? And, and, and the ones that are good have a really good nose for, for which of those activities are investments and which of them, you know, are, are right. expenses. Because an expense is like you spent the money, it's gone, never getting it back. You know, you, you had maybe a short-term value, but it's not providing value right. for you now. Exactly. Whereas the investment, you know, you spent, um, I had advised somebody, he's like, should I go to this networking event or not? It's $300. And I'm like, yes, yeah. go do it, right? And he ended up being able to pull a couple thousand dollars of bit, like, I mean, more than a couple thousand dollars of business, some new business partners onto it. And it's because he, but he was afraid to spend 300 bucks on this event. Exactly. I'm like, dude, this is an investment. You're not spending it. Yeah. Right. And, and that, that's a great example of, of, you know, where, where you just need, you need to understand the difference. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so I mean that's you know that's a little bit about I, I mean I think Start Garden is is really is really a phenomenal unique um, a- entity. It's a fun know, atmosphere. It, well, it, it is, and you know, and, and we're really um, I, I I think we we continue to stay ahead of the curve. You know, I you probably know you know a few years ago we changed the leadership structure of yeah. Start Garden. You know, originally originally I was the CEO. And, and was, you know, was leading it and we were a pretty traditional structure. And, mm-hmm. you know, if I go all the way back to the early Start Garden days when we had the website, you know, one of the things that we just realized, not by intention, was that, that we, really, we really weren't serving the entire community and we didn't really understand why or how. Mm. Um, but if you look at the people that, that were applying on the website, it was disproportionately white and disproportionately male. Yeah. And, you know, from <laughs> our perspective, it's like, how much more accessible can something be than a website? Right. Right. Yeah, right. Because we, we really just, 
website. Well, if Anybody can if, type. Right. If you don't know history, and you and you don't pay attention to culture mm. in a community, mm. you, you know you can make the mistake of thinking that a website is accessible. Whereas, if you look at the you know the people and the things that are behind it, there can be something that's you you know it's like. It's so funny, like, you know, I'm a total pedestrian, you know, I wear blue jeans and sweatshirts and they're all cheap and I just don't care. Like, <laughs> it, you know, I go to New York, you know, frequently and, and I can walk into one of the really expensive stores on Fifth Avenue and it's a door, it's open. Yeah. I can walk in, I can look across at the person behind the counter and they make it abundantly clear to me instantaneously that I don't belong there. <laughs> Yeah. Right. I've heard about that. Right. Well, yeah. I haven't been, I, been there myself, you know, but I know, and, I, and I feel that I'm like, okay, well, I think you know, I, I, and I wasn't going to buy anything anyhow. Maybe but, I should go get some coffee. <laughs> but I think in a way that's that's what we had kind of created. I mean, it mm. had all the appearances of being accessible, but because of location, whatever reasons, right? Uh, um, it, it it didn't feel like it belonged to everyone, and mm. so we started reaching out to some of our connections, and, and you know, and as a byproduct of that, we you know we made some changes and really flattened out. Um, our our leadership structure and our decision making structure right. to make sure that it was being accessible to everybody. Because you have and four leaders now. We do, we do. So so it's currently you know myself and you know Daryl Ross who was you know who's done a lot of economic development stuff was formerly at LinkUp. Jorge yeah. Gonzalez who you know was formerly at uh, the West uh, the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Yep. Who won? Uh, who won? You know. The, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. One, one of the Newsmaker of the Year awards today for his work <laughs> on the hundred. Yeah. So uh, super proud of that. But but um, and, and I wish I could say that. I mean, I wouldn't say it was excruciating, excruciatingly hard, but it wasn't easy. So what we basically mm. just said is, you you know, we're not going to do anything here that 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 we haven't processed through the lens of the group of us to make sure that that it 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 resonates with all the audiences that we know. Yeah. You know, not to mention, you know, Daryl uh, Daryl Ross used to you know she used this phrase talk about thickening of networks. How do we take my network Thickening and connect it to his network and connect it to Paul's network and connect it to Jorge's network? And now all of a sudden, right, you start to get this cross thing going mm. on. And so, you know, what, what, what I think the tradition in, in West Michigan has been in a lot of places is it's not that people don't care about equity and access, but the way we go about it is we take people that are currently in power and, and have resource, which is heavily skewed towards white and male mm -hmm. and we 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 do ideation sessions with that group and then we start to surround it with some people of color or different perspectives right mm -hmm. but but those people aren't operating from the same position of power and resource that the people that are crafting the idea so so the novel mm. thing about about start is we actually said it starts you don't come up with the idea, figure it out, and then go find people. It starts <laughs> with taking people that are different, diverse people of color, right? Yeah. Putting them in positions of power and authority mm. where their voice is equal. Yeah. And then that in and of itself will create a system that's actually equitable. Boom. And and, and that was, you know, again, you know, that's a, that's a breakthrough. I mean, that's... That's novel and hats off to some of the local foundations in the area that were supportive of us in that move. Uh, it, it's a kind of a counterintuitive way to do it. Yeah. But but I think it kind of is. Yeah. I, I mean, but but you, you know, follow the money, follow the power. 
and and that's where things get done and, and that was the fundamental change and and the reason we have the reason five by five looks like it does the reason the hundred looks like it does the reason the population of start garden looks like it does and the reason i think grand rapids ecosystem is a leader in terms of mm. you know in terms of you know equity and access yeah. is be is just because of that one decision to to add add leadership that that brings diverse perspective into every single thing we do wow yeah, I love that. Yeah, that it's, was, it, I mean, it's it's probably one of the more exciting and interesting things that I've been able to be a part of, you know, in my in my entire career. So and we're just getting started. <laughs> that's you know, awesome. We're, we're just getting warmed up on that, but um, but yeah, I think that's I think that's an interesting thing for people to know. Yeah, well, we're at about time. I know you were gracious enough to give me about an hour. Um, I would love to, of course, learn more about Seamless and uh, yeah. you know how the idea came about. Yeah. Um, maybe we could have you on again. Or yeah, something. We, could, we could, you know, we could, we could be on again for sure. But you know, I think, you know, Seamless is a logical extension of this ecosystem. Absolutely. And, you know, when I mentioned the enterprises and the role that that they play, that we have this disproportionate number of enterprises, we just started to think about, well, what would a program look like that leverages that? Mm. And, and that's where the idea for Seamless came from. What if you brought multiple industries together that are all being impacted by similar trends, mm. um, that are all doing similar activities in terms of scouting and trying to work with startups and you know trying to identify what's happening. Yeah. Well, what if we did that together was really the notion. And, and if you look at the history in Grand Rapids, you know, Grid 70 yep. existed Whatever you know, that was like what two thousand seven, really, right? I didn't know and, that and, and Grid seventy took a bunch of enterprises and put them in the same place, but there was not nothing for them to do together, huh. and that didn't really, that really didn't generate the kind of results. Yeah. And then if you you fast forward a little bit, the right place hadn't has a program where where some enterprises would get together and look at emerging technologies together. Okay. So they could kind of think and look so at things. They're but, doing something together. But again, there was really no way to act on it. Mm. And so then, you know, I think of Seamless as just kind of a third incarnation. So, you know, like we used to joke about, yeah, or I like said, <laughs> why didn't pets.com work? Why does Chewy work? Right. Well, it's kind of the same thing. There, the, you know, there is nothing new. You're just building on other things and observing in unique angles. You know, Seamless, there were just some observations I had from being an entrepreneur and an operator and coming at this from the startup side, right? Most of those right. things were coming from the enterprise side. Yeah. I don't think like an enterprise. I think like a startup. Yes. And so, you know, we, we were able to put this together in a way that was really, it's good for the enterprises, but mm. the way that it's good for the enterprises is making sure that it's really good for the startups. And so make sure that you get the brightest and best startups in the world by framing your offering around them as opposed to being an enterprise and saying, what do I want? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Look at the startups and say, what do they want? What do they need? Right. And I think this is just kind of one of those lessons in life. Mm. If you're not selfish and you think about other people's needs and and you and you work really hard to help other people succeed, yep. more often than not, that's the path to your success. Yeah. It's like the, the rising tide lifts all boats. Mm-hmm. You know. And and that's really what seamless is about. You don't have to get into the weeds too much and how it works. But, yeah, yeah. but, you know, there's some really unique attributes to it, but that's kind of where it came from and why it fits here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're just continuing to take multiple elements, and, and our goal is to make what we, what we say is, is, you know, is to make Grand Rapids the lowest friction sandbox in the world. 
Okay. For startups that are working in these spaces we're talking about, right? right. Built environment 2.0, 3.0 yeah. to get traction. Yeah. And that requires this series of relationships across public, private, philanthropic, right? These things that usually, remember when I said, you know you're doing something right when people that don't usually end up in the same room end up in the same room? Yes. Right? Look That's at that. Right. You know, look at May Mobility, look at Air Quality Initiative, look at you know, the LoRa Network, look at different things. You got city government and private sector people and foundations and yeah. right. That's that's when you know you're doing you're doing platform work correctly. And you know, and when you come back to what's the difference in all of this, I, I'll still come back to that. There's a difference between a platform and a program, and we're you know we're obsessed with creating platforms and and platforms that help. As, as many pieces of the puzzle connect at the same time as possible. Mm. Um, and, and that's the common thread you'll find across, you know, everything that's going on here that's, you know, Start Garden, you know, Seamless, Venture Fund, all of that kind of stuff. It's, it's that common perspective, yeah. um, you know, it, which, you know, maybe all of this goes back to that the root of Start Garden, you know, was that it was Rick DeVos's venture after Art Prize. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. think about Art Prize. Yeah. Which is a massive. It's a great event. platform. It's a great massive platform. Right. Some people think in terms of events, Art Prize wasn't an event, right? Because you weren't structuring it. It's a platform where artists can connect with venues. Yeah. And people can connect with art. Yeah. And it's highly unstructured. Very unstructured. And you, know, and you walk so, around, you're like, well, am I going to go to this bar and that bar? We, we, we can create our own routes. You know what I mean? I, I want to see this. I don't want to see that. I want to yep. see some more of these. So, so, so when, you, when, you, when you realize the roots that are there, it's not, it's not so hard to envision how Stark Garden became what it is because it, it's still very true to those design principles yeah. around creating platforms and facilitating connectivity. Yeah. That's why um, I actually... I was at a five by five once, and I, I saw Rick, and he was kind of just floating under the radar. You know, I was just like, "Did you know what this is?" And so I walked into him, and I was, I was, "Hey, dude, like, thank you. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I really love what's going on here, yeah. man. I just want to say thank you." Yeah, it's just like, yeah, yep, yep. And there, that was that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how to add that. It's, you know, yeah. um, well, but, I guess just saying, you know, I'm thankful for all this, right? Yeah. Because like, I've been able to help my own self grow as a platform, yeah. right? You know, I mean, part of it is like I've, I'm able to um, interview people on my podcast who I've met, you know, at Stark Garden events, 5 by 5 You know, I've been participating in 5 by 5s That helped me push a startup that's on pause. We're going to unpause it pretty soon. Sweet. But it, it helped me get it to a spot where I was able to get a lot of traction. And, uh, you know, and the other competitions as well. It's, a, it's been it's been a fun ride. Well, it's great. I mean, you, you know, it's people like you that actually make the ecosystem work. And, and yeah. hats off for doing this podcast. Because if, if there's anything that I would say we don't do well, yeah. it's telling our story. Yeah. Um, you, you know, we're we're kind of roll our sleeves up, get the work done kind of people. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's this, uh, whether we're overly humble or whatever the issue is, there's a lot of great stuff going on. But there we is. just do an atrocious job <laughs> of telling the story because not enough people do what, you know, do what you're doing and create, you know, create some sort of platforms that, that create some transparency yeah. Uh, into what's going on. So I appreciate keep it. Keep up the good work. We, I, we I appreciate shall. it. And let us let us know how to help. And we're glad we glad we've been able to be a part of your journey. Me too. Thanks a bunch, Mike. All right. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs>